KMTT. Today is Tuesday, the year in Parshat Shavua will be given by Mrs. Yael Ziegler. This parsha, parsha much has been said um, our study of Am Yisrael as a nation. Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim is about the formation of the new national entity of Am Yisrael. Um, now, a tremendous amount has been said about the impact of Shibud and Yitziat Mitzrayim on later events in the Tanakh. Um, not just later events in the Tanakh, but also many different Tanakh passages are explicitly built on the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Um, and this, of course, makes sense. It's the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the story of the Shibud and the Yitziat, the story of the enslavement, as well as the redemption, have a very important place in Am Yisrael's history, as we noted before, of course, in as much as this is the story of the formation of the nation. The impact of this story exists both in terms of uh, later legal passages, uh, many, many different mitzvot are directly linked to Vizacharchaki Eved Hayita Bimitzrayim. You should remember that you were a slave in Egypt and Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim as a remembrance to the exit from Egypt. Both the enslavement and the exodus are um, have have a very important impact on uh, the legal system of Am Yisrael. Um, in addition, Yitziat Mitzrayim and Shiobud Mitzrayim as well appear in later poetic passages. We find it in many Mizmorei Tehillim. Uh, many of the Nevi'i, many of the classical prophets refer to the story of Mitzrayim in trying to elicit either repentance from Am Yisrael or alluding to the future redemption of Am Yisrael. Um, and, of course, we also have the echoes of the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim in many different uh, narrative passages whether explicitly or implicitly. So certain narrative passages explicitly refer to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, um, such as when the Malach Hashem comes to Gidon in Shoftim Perk Vav, just to mention one example. And, um, of course, uh, Gidon says, uh, where is that God who took us out of Mitzrayim? So there's a tremendous amount of reference to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. There's also all sorts, of, all sorts of implicit references to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, like, for example, once again, going to Shoftim, uh, the story of Barak and Devorah and Yael fighting Sisra, which seems to be, at least from a literary perspective, built somewhat on the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Uh, now, again, I mean, one could certainly offer an entire course on the impact of Yitziat Mitzrayim on later passages in Tanakh, um, and I'm really actually not going to go in that direction at all. Suffice it to say that Yitziat Mitzrayim is the most mentioned historical event in the Tanakh, after the story itself, it is explicitly referred to more than 160 times and implicitly many, many more times. Um, again, because of perhaps the unwieldy nature of this topic, I'm actually not going to talk about this topic today. I want to talk about uh, a less um, mentioned, a less noted topic when it comes to Yitziat Mitzrayim, and that is the events leading up to Yitziat Mitzrayim, with an eye toward discerning the connections between some of the events that predate the story of Mitzrayim in the Torah. And of course here we're obviously only talking about Sefer Breshit because there are no other uh, books that, that come before the story of Mitzrayim. Um, in an attempt to try to understand how these stories 
somehow impact on the message of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, not just how they lead to Mitzrayim, but why. We have stories before the story of Mitzrayim that leads us to the story of the enslavement and the redemption in Mitzrayim. Now, actually, even though Sefer Breshit is only 50 prakim long, there are actually many different stories which we could focus on um, for our purposes in trying to show how the stories lead us to Mitzrayim, so that many, many roads seem to lead to the story of Mitzrayim uh, in the Torah. Of course, the entire story of the sale of Yosef and the brothers actually directly lead us to the story of the Buddha, and I'm not going to go in that direction either. Perhaps uh, I'll just make note of one particular story which is very important for understanding uh, how it leads to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Once again, uh, I'll just mention this in passing. This isn't the story that I want to focus on, but I, I can't even address this topic without mentioning, of course, the story of uh, Hagar and Sarai and the harsh treatment that Hagar suffers, and Hagar, of course, being a Mitzrayim, at the hands of Sarai. Uh, one should, of course, note the impact that th- this event has on the events that take place in Sefer Shemot, at the beginning of Sefer Shemot. Notably, the enslavement. I want to focus, however, on two perhaps um, uh, broader stories. These two stories um, who have a message, which I think, um, in particular, have. Uh, important message for the formation of Am Yisrael in Egypt through the experience of enslavement and redemption. The first story that I want to talk about is the story of, um, of Avraham, of Avraham going down to Mitzrayim. And here I want to note, of course, that uh, this connection is already made. It's made both by the Midrash and famously by the Ramban in his comment in Bereshit Parakid Bet. Here, of course, I allude to the story where um, after Avraham arrives in Eretz Yisrael, almost immediately afterwards there is a famine in the land. I think it's something like Pasuk Vav, already the sixth Pasuk there. And he, he immediately decides to go down to Mitzrayim. Now, the Ramban actually treats this as a sin, and he says that Abraham, and a quote from the Ramban here, Abraham sinned a great sin, and here the Ramban talks about two different sins. One is in the famous request that he makes of his wife Sarai, that she should tell everybody that she is, uh, of course, his sister, so that he won't be killed because of her. Um, and he goes on and he says, and also, and the second sin that Abraham did, was that he left Eretz Yisrael to go to Mitzrayim because of the famine. This is Avon Asher Chata, says the Ramban. Ki ha'elokim bara'av yifdenu mimavet. Because God could save him from death in the, in the famine. V'chol ha'ala ma'aseh hazeh. And because of this act, says the Ramban, nigzar al zar'o ha'galut be'eretz Mitzrayim biyad far'o. For this act, Avraham's uh, children, Avraham's descendants, received a decree that they be enslaved in Egypt in the hands of Paro. And this is a very interesting uh, approach. It's also a very well-known approach. The Ramban attributes the enslavement of Mitzrayim to Avraham's sin. 
And this is, uh, of course, for, to some extent, because Avram is already told that his children are going to be enslaved in the Brit Ben HaPetarim, in the covenant between the parts that is made in Bereshit Perk Tetvav and three more Prakim. And of course, the question that the Ramban seems to address, which is also addressed by other Midrashim, is why, in fact, does this event happen? Why does the enslavement happen? It must be because of somebody's sin. We, we don't have this idea that people suffer without there being some reason for their suffering and since already this event is predicted in the time of Abraham it must be because of Abraham's sin what sin was it that Abraham did says the Ramban it was the fact that he left Eretz Israel and went to Chutzlaretz However, it should be noted that there's a Midrash which also makes this general connection between Avram's journey to Mitzrayim and the exile and enslavement of his descendants. And this is um, uh, actually... Uh, the Midrash adopts a somewhat different approach in this regard in saying, and I'm quoting from Bereshit Rabbah, Perak Mem, Rabbi Pinchas Peshem, Rabbi Hoshaya, Rava, Amar, Amar, Kadesh Baruch Hu, Avraham, Avinu, God says to Avraham, Avinu, Tsei uchavosh et haderech lifnei banecha. Go out and conquer the path in front of your sons. And the Midrash goes on, to make all sorts of literary connections between Abraham's experience in Mitzrayim and his descendants' later experience in Mitzrayim. And if you note this Midrash, if you read through this Midrash, and, and the Ramban later um, also quotes a tremendous amount of linguistic connections here between the events of uh, Abraham going down to Mitzrayim and the events of his descendants in Mitzrayim. If you note these connections, they're really very astounding. There are a tremendous amount, and a very, very small parsha, a tremendous amount of linguistic connections between these events. So that, uh, I'll give just a few salient examples. If the story of Avram going down to Egypt starts with a famine, well, the story of Amistad going down to Egypt starts with a famine. Um, if the story of Avram going down to Egypt begins with uh, or Avram saying that he is afraid that the uh, the the women will be kept alive and the men will be killed. Well, that's exactly what happens, of course, in our Parsha in Shemot Perak Aleph. In the story of Avram, we're told, Hashem et paro gidolim, that God gives Paro these great plagues. And, of course, the Nigaim Gidolim also appear in Shemot, Perak Yud Aleph. One of the plagues is referred to as a nega. Um, this, I think, is, um, is... These are only a few of the examples brought by the Midrash and brought by the Ramban. The end of the story, however, is also significant in that after Paro discovers, in fact, that Sarai is not uh, Abraham's sister, but she's in fact his wife. So he decides to send Avram out of the country. He says to him, Lama Amarta Achotihi, um, I could have taken you know, her for, for my wife. Why did you tell me that she was your sister? And so Paro sends him out of the land with his wife and also laden down with presents. Now this, of course, is also interesting in as much as Amisrael also leaves Egypt laden down with presents. And here we have an important element of the uh, leaving Egypt story that exists both in the story of Avram and in the story of 
of uh, Am Yisrael. Now, interestingly, as I noted before, while the Ramban sees this story as almost a, an attempt to explain some sort of theological underpinning of the story of the Exodus by showing that it's really, in fact, the story of sin and punishment, whose sin? Avraham's sin. Whose punishment? His descendants' punishment. We'll leave aside, perhaps, the theological problems in uh, the children suffering for the sins of the father. But in any case, that's the way the Ramban reads it. The Midrash reads it differently. The Midrash says, Say, that God says to Avram, go and prepare the path for your descendants. In other words, the events of Avram going down to Egypt somehow are intended to prepare Am Yisrael, to strengthen Am Yisrael for the difficulty that lies ahead. This is a much more positive reading. Uh, this is, I think, the first story that I wanted to examine as a precursor to the Egypt story. And here, of course, we begin, as we always begin, or as we try to always begin, with Chazal noting the connection between these two stories. The Midrash is very astute in picking up these kinds of linguistic connections and showing how these two stories somehow are connected one to the other. Now, in terms of asking the most important question, which is, what is the meaning, what is the message behind this connection, I'm going to leave that aside until the end of our shir, and now I want to turn to the other story that I want to examine in um, as a precursor to the uh, Mitzrayim story, and that is the story of Yaakov in Beit Lavan. Um, the Chazal also make this connection, of course, um, and it's a famous connection because the connection appears in the Haggadah. This connection is rooted in the beginning of the Parshat Bikurim, which appears in Dvarim Perek Kavav. There, when we bring the Bikurim, we actually say a little bit of um, uh, almost a, an extract of the story of Shiabud and Yitziat Mitzrayim. That's what we say when we bring the Bikurim. But we begin that story with Arami Oved Avi Vayered Mitzrayma. So, of course, the obvious question is, who is this Arami Oved and the famous answer of Chazal, quoted by Rashi in Dvar Perkavav, of course, many of the Mepharshim there disagree with Rashi, but the reason that this uh, Midrash is famous is not just because it's quoted by Rashi, but because it appears in the, in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, as I mentioned before. The Haggadah Shal Pesach, I'll read it for you, says as follows, Say, Omad, go and learn, Ma bikesh Lavan Ha'arami Lasot Yaakov Avinu, what was it that Lavan Ha'arami wanted to do to Yaakov Avinu Sheparo Logazar Ela Al Hazharim that Paro only decreed against the males, the Lavan Bikeshla Akor Etakol, and Lavan wanted to uproot everything. Shedneemar Arami Oved Avi Vayered Mitzrayma. As it says, Arami Oved Avi, an Arami tried to destroy my father, and he went down to Egypt. Now, this uh, reading, this Midrashic reading of Parshat Bikurim, is clearly fraught with problems. And the Ibn Ezra already asked the question, what is the connection between Arami, Oveda, Vi, and Vayered Mitzrayma? How does Lavan trying to uh, destroy Yaakov cause him to go to Mitzrayim? What is the connection between these two sentences? I would ask even a uh, thematic question on the Midrash, not just a linguistic one, and that is, Lavan is worse than Paro. Paro was decreed against the Zcharim, and Lavan tried to uproot everything. What is the meaning of this? I mean, Rashi says that it's because when Lavan chased after Yaakov, he wanted to kill everybody. Um, and in fact, um, uh, that would have destroyed all of Am Yisrael. 
However, there is no explicit indication that Levin wants to kill everybody. And, of course, we are talking about his daughters and grandchildren here. Um, and, in fact, this idea that Bikesh Levin la'akor et it doesn't sound like he was trying to kill everyone. It sounds like he was trying to uproot everybody, and that perhaps there might be a distinction there. Um, what is it, in fact, that the Midrash is trying to say here? The first thing I think that we have to note about the Midrash is that the Midrash is entirely correct in connecting this story of Yaakov in Beit Lavan, this story of Yaakov um, uh, going up to, to the Mesopotamian area to, be, um, uh, to, to live in the house of Lavan, is absolutely intrinsically, linguistically, and thematically connected to the story of Mitzrayim. In what way? Well, let's begin with some of the ideas. Um, Yaakov gets to the house of Lavan, and immediately he goes to work for Lavan. And the word avodah appears there over and over. Vayavod Yaakov. Yaakov is working for Lavan. And, of course, the idea is, is that Yaakov works for Lavan basically in a sort of enslaved kind of situation. Now, he is constantly deceived by Lavan in his work, and that is, is part of the very beginning of the story when he works for Rachel, and instead he gets Leah. But it also appears later in the story when Yaakov is defending his decision to run away from the house of Lavan, and he says to Lavan, Zeli esrim shana bevetecha avaditicha. I worked for you for 20 years in your house. Arbazri shana for 14 years for your two daughters and for six years for your sheep and you changed my, um, my reward, my salary ten times so the work, the work that Yaakov does combined with the deception that is practiced by his employer very much does remind us of the story of Am Yisrael in Egypt, particularly um, uh, the deception, right? Paro keeps saying, yes, I'll let you go. No, I won't let you go. This is compounded by the description of Yaakov in this um, experience of, uh, in this uh, uh, situation of enslavement, where he is not crushed by the enslavement, but rather it leads to his fertility, his multiplication, right? He has these wives, he has all of these children, and the description of his multiplication is twice you, is twice indicated by the word vayifrotz. If you look, for example, for those of you who have a Tanakh open in front of you, at the last Pasuk in Perak Lamed, um, in Pasuk Mem Gimel, vayifrotz ha'ish me'od me'od. And this man became very, very many. And that reminds us very much of uh, our description of Am Yisrael's fertility in Shemot uh, Perak Aleph, a very extreme description that we have in Pasuk Zion. Uvnei Yisrael paru vayishratu vayirbu vayatzmu bimod meod. Here we have the meod meod. Later on in Perak Aleph in Sefer Shemot in Pasuk Yudbet, we're told explicitly v'chasher ya'anu oto, the more that they tortured Am Yisrael and the word yifrotz here appears, an unusual word to describe, to describe someone's multiplication. So we have here the description of Yaakov, despite the difficult conditions of his working, despite the fact that on some level he is uh, not treated well as an employee, if 
not enslaved, he certainly uses this to his advantage, and instead of crushing him, it actually um, contributes to his fertility. Um, some other important examples of linguistic and thematic connections between the Yaakov story and the, the Yaakov story in Beit Lavan and Amisrael story in Mitzrayim. So one, for example, is the story of of Yaakov leaving. In Pasuk Kaf Aleph, in Perak Lamed Aleph, we're told, Vayivrachu v'chol lo. He runs away, Yaakov, him and everything that is with him. I'm skipping a little bit here. Vayakom vayavor et nahar He gets up and he crosses the river. And now I'm going to skip a little bit. Vayugad lilavan bayom hashlishi ki varach Yaakov. Lavan is told on the third day that Yaakov ran away. Vayirdof acharav, and he chases after him. Now, if you look back in Shmot Perak Yudalid, you have a very similar description. Vayugad lemelech mitraim ki varach ha'am. Melech mitraim is told that, um, that the am ran away. And the word barach there is a little bit unusual because, of course, they were told they could leave. And later on, a few psukim later, we're told vayirdo facharei b'nei Israel, and they pursued b'nei Israel. So the linguistic connection is very important. I'll mention one more very important linguistic and thematic connection that exists between these two stories, and that is, once again, just like the story of Avraham, we are told that um, uh, Yaakov leaves Beit, La- Beit Lavan laden down with a tremendous amount of property. Um, in fact, we have the whole story with the spotted and the speckled sheep. And at the end of this story, in Pasuk Tet, in Paraklamid Aleph, Pasuk Tet, we're told, Vayatzel Elokim et Mikne Avichem. This is what Yaakov tells his wives. And God despoiled the um, the flocks of your father Vayitainli. And that word um, Vayatzel reappears in the story of Mitzrayim. So for example in our parsha in Shmot Paragimel, already at the burning bush, God is um, uh, tells uh, Moshe, v'nitzaltem et Mitzrayim, and you will despoil Egypt. Later on in the story of Yaakov, when Yaakov is talking to Lavan after Lavan uh, catches up with him, La- uh, Yaakov uses some very interesting language in Perak Lamed Aleph Pasuk Membet, where he says to him, Lulei Elokei Avi Elokei Avraham Ufachad Yitzchak Hayali, were it not for the fear of, or if not for God who is with me, you would have sent me empty-handed. And this, many of you will already note, is uh, very much an echo of the story of Egypt in which, once again, God tells Moshe several times, you will not leave Mitzrayim empty-handed. I just quoted once again from our Parsha, from Shemot Perak Gimel, Pasuk But it also appears later on at the end of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim when we're told over and over, they do not leave empty-handed. I'll just finish this pasuk that I was just reading from the story of Yaakov. Uh, um, and here, of course, uh, Yaakov mentions Onyi, uh, his affliction, and that, of course, directly connects to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. He talks about his time in Lavan's house as uh, Oni, as, um, as, as this affliction, and that's the affliction that we, uh, that we see a lot when describing the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim in our Parsha and Shemot Perak Aleph, and also in the story 
story of the Brit Bin of Tarim. And here he says, Ra'a Elohim, God saw. And that, of course, also relates to the end of Shemot Perak Bet. God sees Am Yisrael's pain. And, of course, in Shemot Perak Gimel, God says the same thing. And so here we have, once again, another connection between um, uh, the story of Yaakov and the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Many, many elements of this story of Yaakov uh, comes back to us in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Um, and on some level, I think, of course, this is uh, the famous idea of Chazal, Maaseh Avot Siman Lebanim, that both Avraham and Yaakov uh, undergo certain experiences that replay later on in Amishel's life. Now, this idea, of course, is, um, is, is an important idea throughout Tanakh. It's particularly important, perhaps, when we talk about the story of Itziat Mitzrayim, because, of course, we have to ask ourselves, what gives Amishel the strength to overcome the very difficult situation that they find themselves in in Mitzrayim. This, of course, is a question that can be asked almost uh, uh, universally with respect to Am Yisrael's existence throughout history. What gives Am Yisrael the strength to exist throughout the um, difficult times that they have to endure throughout their history? <clears throat> and to some extent, the answer is found already in the Midrash describing Abraham's sojourn in Egypt. Go out and conquer the path before your descendants. This is the model for Am Yisrael who wishes to be able to survive, who wants to endure in a very difficult situation. Yaakov, perhaps, is an even better example of this kind of, um, of, of uh, uh, preparation for Am Yisrael. Yaakov, of course, is the model of the one who struggles, but not just the one who struggles. And of course, Yaakov struggles for everything. He struggles for his birth. He struggles for his bracha. He struggles for the bechorah. He struggles with his brother. He struggles for his wives. He struggles for his children. He's constantly um, in a state of struggle. A point that is acknowledged by God in the story of Yaakov fighting the angel. And here, of course, Yaakov is renamed, and he's renamed because of his struggle, but not just because of his struggle, but because he becomes becomes the model of the one who struggles and overcomes. And in fact, this is what God says in Because you have, you are no longer going to be called Yaakov, but Yisrael, for you have struggled with man and with God, and you have overcome, you have survived the struggle. And so it makes sense to some extent that we can derive strength from Yaakov for future difficult situations because Yaakov is the model of the one who struggles and overcomes just as the Midrash indicates that we derive strength from Avraham in this regard. And yet it would seem to me that there's perhaps um, a, a deeper message here in both the story of Avram and in the story of Yaakov, and this perhaps lies in some of the similarities between those two stories. As is well known, Eretz Yisrael is a, uh, uh, as is a land which exists between two Uh, between two great centers of civilization, um, that is Mesopotamia and Egypt. And um, as is well known, Eretz Yisrael is contrasted with the land of Egypt. I even spoke about this a little bit in my Parsha for KMTT of Sefer Bre- of uh, Parsha Bereshit, in my Parsha Shir there. As is well known from Devarim Perak Yudalef, 
Eretz Israel is contrasted with the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt being a land of fertility, a land which has a natural water source, a land which has the Nile River. Um, and Mesopotamia as well has the Nahar Prat. Uh, the, the, it is, of course, known as the Fertile Crescent because it has the Tigris and the Euphrates there. Um, Eretz Israel is a land between these two rivers. In other words, it's a land which is defined by a lack of natural water source. And I claimed in my in my shir and, and parsha Bereshit that in fact Eretz Israel is defined theologically by a land which cannot have a water source. And this is indicated in fact by Devarim Parakudalif, which tells us that Eretz Israel is a land that you can only get rain, you can only get water from rain. In other words, you have to look heavenward, you have to be in contact constant um, uh, contact with God um, in, order to, uh, in order to derive your water source. You feel your sense of dependence on God in the land of Israel. Um, it therefore should come as no surprise to us that when Am Yisrael uh, is in Eretz Yisrael, or when the Mishpachat Avram is in Eretz Yisrael, there are all sorts of fertility problems. And of course, all of the Imahot are barren. Um, interestingly, once they get to Egypt, and this is Shmot Perak Aleph, there are no fertility problems. There's this Paru Vayishritu Vayirbu Vayatzmu Bimod Meod. The sense is, is that Am Yisrael derives to some some measure of benefit from the fertility, from the productivity of the land when they are in um, Egypt. Well, the same is true perhaps for Yaakov in, um, in Beit Lavan. And interestingly, um, uh, the other thing that I think that we have to note is that when uh, when Avraham and Yaakov leave Egypt and Mesopotamia, respectively, they come back with gifts. But these gifts are a direct result of God having given it to them. And in fact, this is what we're told um, almost explicitly in the story of Yaakov, Yatzel Elohim, says Yaakov, at Son Avichem, at Mikne Avichem, that God took away, God despoiled your father and gave me the Tzon. So that perhaps there's a message here uh, relating to what it is that the outside culture can provide for Am Yisrael. Mesopotamia, Egypt can give Am Yisrael this, um, this external wealth, this productivity, this fertility. But Am Yisrael brings it back to the land of Israel with an explicit recognition that it's not theirs to keep unless they have um, uh, incorporated this idea that, in fact, it is a gift from God. It is something which is um, given to them by God. So there, it seems to be here that there is um, a value to the fertility of Egypt, the fertility of Mesopotamia, and yet it has to be clear that um, they cannot get trapped by it. They can take some material wealth, with them back to the place in which material wealth is dependent upon the relationship with God, but only if they recognize that even having uh, attained, even having obtained that material wealth in Chutzlaret, they come back with an explicit recognition that they got it from God. And this perhaps uh, may also, there's an interesting reading here in the story of Lavan when uh, Yaakov leaves the house of Lavan 
again coming back with all his wealth wealth it says explicitly here in Perak Lamed Aleph Pasuk Kav Aleph Vayivrachu v'chol asher lo vayakom vayavor et hanahar and he crosses the river so that once again this leaving of Mesopotamia entails leaving the river behind leaving the fertility behind leaving the uh, material wealth behind and moving to a place where one recognizes that material wealth is connected only to um, uh, a recognition that one's dependence on God, one's relationship with God, is ultimately what determines one's uh, material well-being as well. So perhaps um, th- these two stories, both the story of Avram and Mitzrayim and the story of Am Yisrael, of uh, Yaakov in, in Haran, are a precursor to the story of Mitzrayim because they share certain elements as to how we view Mitzrayim slash Mesopotamia in relation to Eretz Yisrael what it is that differs between Mitzrayim, Mesopotamia and Eretz Yisrael and what kind of message we take with us back from our sojourn in these very fertile, uh, productive countries back to Eretz Yisrael where fertility and productivity is dependent on God and our relationship with God. Shabbat Shalom.